Hey fam, I just wanted to drop in a bit of a content warning for this episode. Obviously, if you've seen the Poughkeepsie tapes, you understand, but if you're a horror virgin like me and only listen to the episodes and not watch the movies, let me just go ahead and warn you that it's about a prolific and horrible serial killer, and we do touch and talk about those themes, and we even do a deep dive on a lot of the serial killer's that inspired the styles that are displayed in the Poughkeepsie tapes. So if that kind of stuff bothers you, you may want to skip this episode. It is a pretty great episode if I do say it to myself. So please sit back, enjoy the Poughkeepsie tapes episode, but be warned. Enjoy guys. This episode brought to you by the following patrons, Jeff, Amy, Domasaurus, Taco Cat, Awesome Possum Blossom, Matthew, William, Brandon, Dave, Scott, Tristan, Kate, Isaac, Ori, Karun, Eddie, and Nick B. And all the patrons want you to know that you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with all of us, please do so by checking out the Facebook group and joining it and hanging out in the Discord server where we talk daily. <laughs> After you left Paige... He found out you could take out the cell phone and play Snake, so he'd just be... Oh, the phone in the game? Yeah. yeah. There was one really scary part where I took a three-minute break to play Snake. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of the stream, I was just like, this is boring, play Snake. Actually, the rest of the stream, he was getting hit on by a fan. That's what he was That's saying. what I told her. And, like, my persona's not even that charming. I'm like, huh, 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 boobies. Like, <laughs> I'm going to leave you the next morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> let's break a couch together. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin, Todd, which means... I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And Mikey this week made us watch the movie that answers the question, why should we only stick to movies that had a theatrical release? The Poughkeepsie <laughs> Tapes. <laughs> yeah. I want you to know, Mikey, I wrote that halfway through watching this movie. I believe I may have picked the wrong <laughs> film because I was watching it, thinking about some scenes that were going to come up, and then they never came. And I was like, did I pick the right movie? I will say this almost had a theatrical release and, and was scheduled for one and then it was canceled last minute and no one knows why. It was canceled last minute because someone saw the movie. <laughs> oh, come on. We've watched way worse films. That is true. I'm not saying we haven't. We, we have 160 some episodes. There are some yeah. stinkers in there. But like this one's not great. Put this episode in the episodes of movies I watched in college that I thought were scary, and then I watched again 16 years later, and I was like, maybe I should have watched this before I made an episode about it. I had a real, real weird existential crisis watching this movie because I am a true crime nerd. And so, A, I could identify every serial killer they stole from. Yeah. And B, I watched documentaries like this all the time. So I was halfway through and I was like, is this super scary to other people? And I'm just fucking broken. What's happening? And then I got to more of the torture porn and I was like, oh, no, no. A, this is not scary. But also B, 
this is somebody who just wanted to film themselves torturing a woman and then needed to build a narrative around it. <laughs> and that's why it's the worst. Paige, I sort of feel the same way you do. Like, I watch a lot of true crime documentaries. Yeah. Like a lot. So many. It is my go-to thing to watch while falling asleep. It's so weird because I'll watch, like, true life horror stories, like people getting yeah. murdered and stuff like that. And that's, like, comfort food for me. But for whatever, whatever reason, horror movies scare the shit out of me. It's very weird. Anyway, because of that, though, I was not at all scared by this movie. Yeah, this movie's not scary at all. And then when the imagery gets very unsettling, that did affect me. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just so used to watching documentary-style stuff, and a lot of people in documentaries are not people who are like, Excellent speakers and do a great job. And yeah. the same thing goes for this movie. There's a lot of, you know, not great actors in this movie doing the talking head segments. Here, Here's what I will give them. Because I feel like that didn't bother me as much because I'm like, it's a documentary. Same. Like, exactly. So I, I, I wrote that off. It's the actual killer's footage that I really have a problem with for a couple reasons. I will also say, and I, you and I talked about this before we started recording. Yeah. I really do like documentary as a premise for a found footage horror. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think Hell House LLC did it better. Um, and, and remember, I didn't super love Hell House LLC, but I think as far as framing it as a documentary, they did a great job. I think this one is very accurate to murder documentaries, except for the killer footage, yeah. which is ridiculous. And like, you would never show that much. And it's that thing of because it's not real, because this is something they're making, they try to add that level of realism by, oh, you wouldn't just be dropped into a film right at the place that you needed to be, but it's within a documentary. And so the documentary would edit to the place that we needed to be. Yeah. So we sit through him like wandering through houses he doesn't recognize for 10, 15 minutes. Like that's footage we don't super need or we would have one or the other. Like when you watch unsolved mysteries or snapped or whatever on tlc Love snapped. <laughs> you get those those shots of them like walking through a house they don't recognize but then you don't get the murder yeah it's like one or the other i felt like the guy who was making this movie who surprise i love some of the stuff he's done later but really yeah so have you seen waco yeah the david koresh the taylor kitsch one yeah taylor kitsch is david koresh i hate that one i know but i actually really enjoyed it and he's the guy who like made that happen he wrote it he produced it he directed it i know i know you're gonna hate it because because of your cult he probably sh- well but i'm like he probably <laughs> then he probably should have done the, the amount of research he did for this movie for that movie and he would have probably done better because that movie really glosses over the heinous shit that David Koresh did. Well, yeah, I mean, that movie does sort of make David Koresh seem like he might have been a victim on some level until, like, the last episode. He is not. No, I know, I know. He is a horrible man. I know, I know. But I'm just saying, he's gone on to make, I think, some pretty quality stuff. Yeah, But this is not that. Although this is super early on in his career, and it is a competent film. I'm not saying it's trash. I'm yeah no I I agree with you and I love this premise yeah. I really do it, it is purely the execution for me and it's honestly only half of the execution for me it's only the footage part that really bugs me and I was like what would like a horror movie about a serial killer be like and I was like oh seven 
<laughs> like or <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. And I'm like, see, we have those. And I like both of those movies. And so I'm like, like the formula works, just execution. I don't <laughs> have the premise of this movie because it very much is, hey, what if we had a found footage film, but the person making the found footage was the murderer? That premise right. is cool. I would love to see someone take this premise and either remake this or make a different one where we do have the killer sort of POV the whole time. It's sort of like, what if you followed Mike Myers around Halloween Town yeah. or Haddonfield, right? Oh my God, think about like a hardcore Henry style <laughs> yeah, no. Ser- just a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, it would probably make me want to throw up just as, mu- as much as Hardcore Henry did, Hardcore but for Henry different did. reasons. Yeah. I, I think I literally <laughs> watched a different cut of this film or a different film and picked the wrong film for Mikey Munn. It's almost like you did no research before deciding we were going to do this movie, Mikey. <laughs> no, I was 100% confident this was the film I was talking about. But also, a bunch of other people in the stream last night, in the Facebook group, and oh, yeah. were also like, oh, that movie fucked me up. It's scary as shit. And I'm just like, did we watch the same movie? I think if you did. place it in time, it came out before Investigation Discovery and a bunch well, of- Well, Investigation Discovery was def- definitely out because I used to watch that as a teenager in high school because I'm broken. Um, But I will say it's before the modern true crime boom. Yeah. And if this movie had come out now, it would definitely not have done as well. I mean, I don't know how well it did then either, but like people have so much more of a frame of reference for serial killers that this movie would not be successful because people would be able to point it out like I did. And I'll go through, there's not a lot of fun facts for this movie, so I'll go through serial killer facts as we go because they borrow from six to eight different serial killers and their MOs and just insert it into this movie. In the cut I saw, or the movie I'm talking about... Like, there's a lot of, like, backwards walking by the serial killer. Was that ever in this cut? It's in the end of this one. But there was a lot more of it in the cut I saw. And in the cut I saw, he made that girl murder people to the point where, like, she faked a death or something and then murdered other people. He does make her murder people. Well, we can talk about when we get through it, but she does kill one person at least. Yeah. No, but, but like, but like after she gets out. Oh, I know what you're saying. And, and that would make sense, potentially, because the murders do stop at that point. And the the movie posits that the murderer has moved on. Yeah, like a different area. No, he did. She, like, gets out, gets back with her family, and then sets up more people and then, like, takes them to him. Oh, Oh, like a John Wayne Gacy type situation? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, he wasn't the one going to get them, but he had... He had people bring kids to him. So I don't know if I'm thinking of a different movie or I saw a different cut of this movie. Mikey, I bet I can solve this with one simple question. When did you see this movie that you're talking about? 2007. Okay, so this movie came out 2017. That's true. It was made in 2007. It didn't actually get released till 2017. Yeah, I saw it online in 2007 and 8. It didn't get a VOD release until 2014. So you stole it is what you're saying. Yeah, you probably I, I, stole I it. I am not saying anything. So <laughs> Mikey's not crazy. This film was originally released and not like wide release, but like a handful of cinemas and a version of it leaked online. Uh, it's suspected that that version is their festival submission, not the final cut they wanted to show at the festival. The final cut they wanted to show at the festival is the same on the Blu-ray, the same that we watched today. 
but the version that was the submission did leak. There are there were a lot of bootleg copies of it. And if you saw this before 2017, it's very likely that that's the version you okay. saw unless you saw it at the festival. That's wild. Okay. I definitely watched that bootleg version because you could not find this film anywhere. No. I mean, it wasn't available right. for a wide release till just four years ago. So for right. 10 years, it was in a black hole of like, this movie's so scary, they're not even releasing it. It was like that kind of online buzz. So right. I mm-hmm. watched it. And it was much scarier than the version that we watched today. Interesting. I don't think this movie is scary at all. So any measure of scary would have helped <laughs> yeah, it No, no, I'm with for you. Me. I, yeah. I was confused throughout the film because I was like, how did I think this was so scary? And then I remembered different things happening. Well, you were saying that you remember that there was a lot more of him like pushing Cheryl to kill and getting Cheryl to a place where she was killing on his behalf mm-hmm. or setting people up or procuring people for him but then also it sounds like the ending is a little different i swear to god i feel like he faked his death at one point Hmm. and i also remember it was more like saw like there was way more torture stuff and then like way more of him like hunting people and like a lot of their terror like he's recording them like he like he's chasing them around their house and he's like laughing about it and like they're screaming and like trapped like stuff like that some of that stuff is what works the least for me in this movie because i'm like they he has a camera you can overpower him he's one arm is useless like (laughs) what is this the fugitive come on yeah well like who (laughs) if this killer is so meticulous and so good at what he does does he not realize how vulnerable that makes him to literally put one arm completely out of commission video and they do Try to explain it away where they're like, he's practiced this a lot of times. And I'm just like, no, it's still bad. Yeah. The cut I saw, to sum it up, basically was like if Ted Bundy had a video camera and was recording his perspective of stuff he was doing. More realistically, it's if Ed Kemper had a video yeah. camera. But yes. Right. Ed Kemper but, but, was way more fucked up than Bundy. And they named him after Ed Kemper. That's yeah. not a fun fact. It's just his name is Ed. Yeah. And he does a lot of the stuff Ed Kemper did. And it felt more like that. And it was less. The documentary is more like you're getting a serial killer's perspective as he starts serial killering and moving like changing things serial and, killering yeah so, serial these are killering. technical terms page i'm not expecting you to understand what yeah. he's talking about no not at all mm-hmm. I, i'm clueless i'm 100 positive now if the online version was way different than this movie then i definitely got it from a bay of uh people who went to other ships some might say pirates um excuse me privateers <laughs> privateers yeah. uh, i have this letter from the king of england saying it's fine if i download this illegally <laughs> yeah because we're at war with uh spain spain you know? yeah. yeah i watched yeah. that netflix show yeah, yeah i did just finish watching that but can we get into this movie so we can talk about it please <laughs> how y'all make fucking and crime boring anyway <laughs> so. <laughs> man they talked about syphilis a lot on that show a lot so we open on a funeral <laughs> uh, we open on a funeral and it's intercut with home videos of a young girl smiling and playing who we later know is cheryl this is the beginning of what within the world of this movie is a documentary about what they describe as the strangest most disturbing serial killer in 25 years and they don't name him at this point and to be honest there's like a whole bunch of different names and things that they call him. I'll go through it because a lot of them are specific to whatever serial killer they're basing that particular trait on. Yeah. So we get a title card that says part one, the tapes. 
And the first tape we see is in night vision. And it's kind of unclear what we're looking at at first. But then we hear a car start and we see a rope in the foreground tighten as a rope pulls a dead body out of a grave. Yeah, this honestly made me uncomfortable. I was not a fan. I was curious at this point because I was like, what is going on? Yeah, like, it's, it's a pretty good cold open for a horror movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say that I was on board for this movie and loving it for like the first 30 or so minutes because I yeah. was just like, I'm not scared, but this is exactly the shit I like to watch all the time. Yeah. We get an interview with the killer's former landlord who basically just said, I had a tenant who's a terrible person. This is the house where they found the tapes. I was surprised he didn't own that house. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what he did for a job because they don't really talk about it. Um, but also serial killers often would rent places because you can leave. Yeah. And you can give fake information, especially back in the day. Also, you can bury a shitload of dead bodies in your backyard and not have to worry about the cleanup. Yep. Only if you have a privacy fence. <laughs> well, he did. Why do you think I built a privacy fence? <laughs> mm. It's for all the people who stole your credit card information. Um, uh, but also, depending on what state you're in. If you purchase land, that's public record. Yeah, I get it, Paige. I'm an idiot. You got to think like the killer, Mikey. I'm only one kind of killer, Paige. Lady killer. Not even. <laughs> not even that kind. I love that he like knew going into the joke it wasn't going to land super know, well, no. so he like backed out of it. Even though he committed to the punchline, he backed out of it. I love it. <laughs> if you want to say that you're like a, like a hand killer or a sock killer, I'll accept that. <laughs> he doesn't kill the socks. He just weighs them down. Oh, he feeds the socks. No. Anyway, they then go into some interviews with law enforcement, both local and FBI. And yeah. they're saying, we knew we had a serial killer, but we, we hadn't been able to string everything together. And the tapes are the main evidence. Yeah. This is very important because this movie was made in 2006, 2007. And at that time, they had not caught Eron's, the East Area Rapist Original Night Stalker, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer. Right. I mean, that happened, like, very recently. But a lot of this is based on him. Yeah, a lot of this is based on him. That, ha that happened about two years ago. But it was only really in more recent years, in about the last 10 years, in part due a lot to some of the work of Michelle McNamara, um, Patton Oswalt's late wife. I love her. But they had just started to connect the different sets of murders. Yeah. And even now that they've been testing DNA, they have widened the net of the murders that they can attribute to him as a person. But this movie is one of the first times we see on screen people talking about kind of that phenomenon of somebody moving locations and therefore evading capture, but also changing their MO. Yeah. Which then basically breaks the link of their crimes because they believe it's a different serial killer. And so that's what was happening here. They didn't realize that all these crimes were the same person. The tapes were the main evidence to clue them into that. Um, we then get a talking head from the guy whose job it was to watch and log all the tapes. And how he <laughs> couldn't sleep for the first month. And then his wife accidentally watched one. And then it was a year before she'd let him touch her again. That's what was on those tapes. I thought that that was hilarious. That definitely was not in the cut I saw. Because I was like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard <laughs> yeah. in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. If it was real, I could seriously understand. If you, if, hey, if you did not know that your husband was working on this investigation. And you just found that shit in the house. 
I get it. I'd be like, not only am I not sleeping with you, I'm going to be at my parents for a while until the divorce papers are done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Especially if there was any insinuation that your husband might be the person taking the, the video. Yeah, absolutely. There's a mask on the guy, so you don't I know, know. You never know. Yeah. Oh, let's take a pause. He Wait, what was the guy's title? I believe he worked with the FBI as an archivist. Yeah. So first off, he works for the FBI. Yeah, you <laughs> so, don't bring evidence home. This is not a plot point in Mindhunter. They definitely wouldn't make this documentary because the investigation would still be open and they, they wouldn't have the they wouldn't be handing over evidence to the documentary. That's fine. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's my one of my biggest points of contention with the movie is that they don't catch the serial killer. But still, this documentary exists. Yeah. But yeah. so and but that's the difference in the cut I saw. I believe he is dead. Like he fakes his death when they find the house or he orchestrates it like that's fine. Whatever. But moving on to the real important issue here is one. A year is a very long time. Yeah, <laughs> Mikey speaking from personal experience there. A year is a very long... Like, let's say there's a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> a year is a very long time not to be touched. Uh, anyway, but like... Husband and wife should talk about these things like, hey, I'm working on some really gruesome stuff. Yeah, work. don't go in my office and or look at any tapes. Or the basement. We uh, hypothesize that maybe they have other issues going on and he may just threw that in as like a dig and they're like ongoing divorce papers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm ready to, now I'm ready to move on. I just want to know what the conversation was like after a year that got her to touch him again. Right? Like, and it's got to have like multiple conversations. And see, if I was him, I'd be like, it is my job. I Told you there's really disturbing things in there. Yeah. You went in there and watched it. And like, I don't know what you want for me to make this better. Oh, there was so much yelling about all I have to do to provide for this family. And you use that as an excuse not to have sex with me. Do you know how hard it is to find a job as an archivist anywhere? <laughs> I didn't go to archival school to be poor. I feel like they probably had to go to a lot of therapy. Yeah. That's the movie I want to see. Me too. Honestly, <laughs> same. I honestly want to see that. Where's the plague mask? I told you it's not me in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> or or the, the wife watches the video and she's like, I don't know, man. It was like not great. It was sort of like the worst uh, Phantom of the Opera adaptation I ever watched, but it wasn't super <laughs> scary. <laughs> she was like not phased by that, and then he won't touch her for a year. <laughs> <laughs> or she's like watching the tapes, and she's like, you're all bent over backwards. You've never been that flexible. <laughs> <laughs> she's like giving him notes. He's like, oh, my wife is a murderer. Come on. <laughs> Real talk, though. There was one of the people that they're interviewing where he's like, I bet he just moved on to a different place and, you know, yeah. got really good at it. And I was like, what if it's that guy? I honestly <laughs> thought at one point it was Cheryl. I think that's a really interesting Stockholm syndrome. And then she ends up yeah. killing people. Yeah. I, I would have been here well, for that. I, I, yes. mean, I don't think it was her the whole time because you clearly see them in the same scene together. Like there, it's, there's no yeah. way she's both people, but I do feel like at some point you could easily read it as she's doing all the murdering, but whatever in the bootleg cut, she helps him get away with it and relocate. And then she relocates with it. Like it, it's all crazy. Yeah. This is going to sound insane, but I, when he first like took her and started like torturing her to the point of like Stockholm syndrome, it's a horrible, horrible thing. I'm not trying to say that he breaks her mind. Yeah. yeah. But I was hoping that, narratively speaking that they were doing that so we could have someone else hold the camera <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a really great great idea in, 
Instead, we just get tripods later. But like, yeah. oh, my nickname in college. <laughs> tripod? <laughs> because you were always holding the camera? No, because I would just lean forward. Aren't we the optimist? <laughs> and then I would fall. because one of the legs was considerably shorter than the other they called me the bipod (laughs) (laughs) i thought in watching this movie when they catch the police officer that they think did it and kill him by lethal injection yeah i thought it would have been super interesting if the murders continued and it was cheryl yeah okay they did catch him but then Cheryl continues. Yeah, that also could have been cool. Yeah, but also she's a victim, and it's so sad. It is and so sad. What happens to her is bothers me. terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brutal and has actually happened to people. Yes, so. it has. That's, that's terrifying. Well, let's get back in the movie, because we're touching on points that don't happen until much later. Yeah. We're not going to touch on those points for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I do to provide for this podcast, and you're not going to touch on these points for a year. <laughs> I bought you that necklace with my sweet, sweet archivist money. We're making fun of them having what would have been a very rough relationship issue, but still. You got a laugh, Paige. I gotta. So they found all the... (laughs) I'm sorry that we we really upset these fictional archivists. I know. In a movie we don't even like. (laughs) Cool. So they found these tapes in a closet. Uh, and then they found a ton of bodies in a yard where yes. I think it's a total of like six or seven women and then a whole family at one point. Yeah, but there's more tapes than bodies. There's way more tapes than bodies and the tapes are sequential. And this is also where we see that they like show us the tapes like lined up. Dude, that was an impressive shot, man. It was insane. It was cool. It's yeah. So many fucking tapes. Well, and they say like all of these tapes are like murders. And then like from here to like literally like 20 feet down, this is Cheryl. That's the difference. Do you remember at the end where they're talking about the missing tapes? Yeah. Yes. The 27. That's where he sets up his faking his death and moving and Cheryl stuff. Oh, oh shit. Okay. And it shows glimpses from that after the. Well, we don't know what the credits of the documentary then has post credit stuff of the the missing tape. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What if they did like a Romeo and Juliet type thing where she like died, right? Quote, unquote, died, went to an apothecary, right. died. They buried her and he dug her up at the very beginning of the movie to like resuscitate her or whatever. Give her the other potion that brings them back to life and then abscond to like the West Coast and start killing on the West Coast. <gasps> Poughkeepsie tapes too. Oh, I love this. You laugh, but I'm pretty sure she digs him up. All right. Well, okay. So, yeah, as is in the movie that we see timeline wise, she is dead. However, one of the things that they do cover in this movie is that he's a necrophiliac. Yeah. Uh, specifically in the style of Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, where he would kill, dump the body, and then return to the dump site multiple times. Yeah, they talk about that. Yeah. And like that the the fact that it's decomposing and like having maggots cover it is stuff, all it's like, part it's all of part it. part of it for him, which is super gross and actually happened. Yep, actually happened. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. They're looking at that stack of tapes, and they're from here to here is Cheryl Dempsey. Yeah, which is a super, super long swath of tapes. It's like literally 20 feet of walking tapes for, like, cassettes deep. Yeah. They do give it an interesting statistic because they go into now just kind of, like, the basics of serial killers, essentially. Yeah. They're, like, at any given time, they're between 25 and 50 active serial killers, and that has changed 
so significantly in the time since this movie was made to now that I would say that number has drastically dwindled as yeah. far as active serial killers. It's so hard to be a serial killer right now. Honestly, from like their heyday in the 70s, like 60s and 70s, Till now, like the technology and how to find these people has gotten so much better. We just find them so much quicker. I bet their heyday was before the 60s and 70s when like they no. didn't even get caught. 70s. Yeah. 70s, the 70s is the heyday. Bro. Yeah. There are more serial killers in the 70s than in any other years at all. We couldn't catch everybody before then, though. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Do you, do you think like before they just didn't put any pieces together? Because you could just drive to the next that, county yeah. over and just like murder someone and then no one would know. Yeah. It probably is that convergence of serial killers were always out there. There were always a lot of them. Right. And in the mm-hmm. 70s, we were like, holy shit, serial killers exist. And then right. we started to focus on it and then started to dwindle the numbers down ever since then because we've gotten much better at catching them. I'm saying we like it's the three of us. Like, we've got to yeah. get out there and find these serial killers, Mikey. I can't. She's not going to touch me for a year. Oh, God. If you're super interested in the proliferation of serial killers and the dwindling proliferation of serial killers, there is some very, very fascinating research that has examined whether it's not that people are not serial killers now, it's that our culture has shifted and changed so that the people that would have been serial killers are mass shooters and spree killers. Okay. Yeah. That's a really, really interesting thing. And I'm going to talk about mental health stuff for a second because over the years, depending on what's going on culturally and society, on, on the society level, the proliferation of what people are delusional about has changed over the years. Yes. And so that makes sense. There's just things we can't define based on culture and society right. that like change things. And not saying that there's a link between killing and delusions. I'm just saying that, like, it's very interesting that, like, 50 years ago, most schizophrenics were delusional about one thing, and now they're, 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 it used to be demons, and it used to be TVs, and now it's, like, government paranoia. Like, it changes as society changes. Sure. And, and this is something that this came up in one of the Facebook groups a while back where somebody was hitchhiking and got killed, and I ended up speaking on that episode about how that's why I grew up never, ever hitchhiking and never believing it was safe. And it was like drilled into us as children that if you hitchhike, you'll get killed. Yeah. And we found out in that thread in the Facebook group that that's a uniquely not only American phenomenon, but specifically a West Coast American phenomenon because we had specifically hitchhiker serial killers which they do cover in this movie. They do, yeah, they do. M- mimic the Hillside Stranglers a little bit. But that was national news. Like, I grew up feeling like you cannot hitchhike anywhere. Right. Because, well, and honestly, my dad lived in California for a time during that. Uh, and I'm not saying he was a Hillside Strangler. I'm just saying he was there <laughs> around that right. same time. So that's probably why he was always telling us, never hitchhike. Call me and I will come get you no matter what I'm doing. No, my parents, <laughs> I grew up, my parents were like, never, ever hitchhike. Right. But Mikey now is trying to get his dog, Macy, to actively hitchhike. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is like, as society changes, these killings have to change yeah, because they have to adapt as well. And the hypothesis is maybe they have adapted into mass shooters. And it's a very interesting thing to potentially read about. I think logically it makes sense. I haven't done any research on it, but like when you say it, that resonates with me. Like, oh, I could see that. Yeah. This is going to sound very disturbing, but I, I work a lot with law enforcement. I try to like get in people's perspectives. So like if your whole goal in life is to kill people, like if you're a serial mm-hmm. killer, your whole goal Everything you do, like right now, all, all three of us are like trying to buy a house, settle down, 
Those are right. our goals in life, right? Right. Their whole goal is to proliferate killing people over and over again in more interesting ways for them. And if you were a modern-day serial killer in America or a first-world country, I would think, well, there's a way more opportunity that I won't be able to do this here. I should move to a country or a location with way less competent law enforcement and then start doing it there. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think it depends on the type of serial killer you are. And I don't know. We haven't talked about this on, on this show. I know we've talked about it on Cult Podcast. The difference between a process or a product killer. Yeah. Do you want the actual act of killing or do you just want the dead body? Right. Yeah. And, because, and in this case, we have a unique and they don't go into it in this movie. They call him a mixed killer and imply that that means he's organized in his methodology and disorganized in the mutilation of the body. But what he really is, is a mix of a product and a process killer where he relishes in the process of killing people clearly because of the torture that he's doing. But then he is also a necrophiliac, which makes him a product killer because he needs the body. Right. So that is kind of an interesting thing too. And I think depending on what kind of killer you are, will depend on how that comes about. Because if all you want to do is kill people, if you just want to kill people, mass shooter makes sense. Quickest way to do it. If you want to like relish in it, then you got to find a place where you can kill and torture people. Yeah. If you're a product killer, that's a whole different ball game because mass shooters don't get any product. It's all process. And so, yeah, I, I think all different things to... To kind of examine and think about. And consider. Yeah, absolutely. And I know this is a huge, long, random tangent in the middle of this movie, but I feel like it is prescient. Yeah, I feel like it makes sense logically as to what we're talking about. Yeah. So we find out that there's hours and hours of tapes and they say that not all of it's torture. Some of it's just weird balloon stuff where we see a a video of a woman crawling into frame in lingerie. She blows up a balloon, sits on it, and he screams at her to pop it. Yeah. And she kind of can't, although we do eventually see her do that. Yeah. And it is implied that she is likely a sex worker. Yeah. Which we will find out later as part of his M.O. I'll talk about that a lot when we get there. Uh, Then we get to part two, First Blood. And this is where we start to see FBI profiling come into it. And we basically sit through a class where an FBI profiler is teaching would be FBI profilers based on these tapes. And he's saying that like three of you will go home tonight and decide this is not what you want with your life. I like it. He was like, and listen, that's okay. Cause you're going to have to decide yeah. whether you want to watch these super disturbing images all the time and try and get in the headspace of someone who like gets off on this. Yeah. And it's not for everybody. And listen, it is not for me. <laughs> like I would never want to do this kind of job, Mikey. Yeah, you should be an archivist, <laughs> but then Natalie wouldn't touch me for a year. Mikey. A year. <laughs> I can't last it. Uh, I honestly secretly hoped uh, when the thing came up and it said, Number two, first blood. I was like, oh, if this is shot for shot, <laughs> Rambo, Rambo two, first blood. I am on okay, board okay, for this. Okay. What do you think about a serial killer who just reenacts scenes from famous action movies, but the serial killing? <laughs> oh instead? my god, that would be hilarious. So he's videotaping and he's chasing a woman around her house, and he's like, if it bleeds, we could kill it. <laughs> and then he chases her to serial killer. Get out of my brain. I was like, what if they're just doing Arnold Schwarzenegger's kills with yes. the like puns? Yeah. Like with with the catchphrases. Or like oh he walks up to a guy on the street, butt ass naked, and goes, give me your clothes. And then punches him through the chest. <laughs> and then murders, serial murders him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So the FBI profilers say that they think something happened in his life, 
either a girl broke up with him, you lost a job, something. Something set him off. Yeah, I love the dramatic reenactment that happens. You were like shadows? Yeah, it, yeah, well, it's like two people in like what is, it's not a house, but it's supposed to look like a house. But it really is just like a facade of a window yeah. we're looking through <laughs> with like a like light blue backdrop as the wall mm-hmm. behind them that it, you could very clearly tell is just like cloth. Yeah. When I say it's so poorly done, it's sort of perfect for the movie because it does yeah. look like it's a like documentary style, like like an ID discovery type documentary. Yeah. Style. yeah. At, at, at this point in the movie, I was still 100 percent on board for it. Well, I, yeah, I was worried for the setup for yeah. sure. Yeah. So they say that something happened and he went out in his car and said that the next vulnerable person I see is dead. And so we see him driving. He sees a little girl on the lawn. He gets out of a car and he's like breathing heavy and taping this. And he basically tries to talk the little girl into coming with him peacefully. And she's a smart little girl. Yeah. And is like, no. And I think he kind of blocks her avenue back to the house. Mm -hmm. So she can't really run. And he basically punches her. We don't see it on screen. It's off screen. Knocks her unconscious, it seems like, and then puts her in the back seat and drives away. Yeah. And they do show us a little bit of the autopsy information where basically they're like, she died of blunt force trauma. So he beat her to death, most likely. I honestly thought it was because of the hit on the head that we didn't see, but like happened in right. the front yard. Because when we hear the 911 call from the mom, there's blood out there's there. There's blood outside. Yeah. So yeah, I figured I thought, it was I thought that. he hit her with like a pipe or something. Yeah. Or the hammer, because he does have a hammer later. Yeah. Ugh. So it could have been hammer. Now, here's something really interesting is they do play a fake 911 call from the mom who's trying to report her daughter missing. And they tell her that they have to wait 24 hours. And she says there's blood out there. And they're like, it still has to be 24 hours, which is not true. If there's blood, that's a crime scene. They come immediately. I do think the person on the other end of the 911 call does a very thankless job. And we don't really acknowledge what they go through every day. But also, she did say my daughter's missing. And if the law is 24 hours, the whole there's blood in the yard thing happened after she said that. So, like, at that point, in my mind, they dispatched someone right away. We just didn't hear that part of the call. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Now, this, this is depicted as, like, the 80s. Or 90s. I thought it was like mid-90s, yeah. Now, if it's mid-90s, then they would have been dispatched right away. If it's the 80s, pre-Amber Alert and pre-the Johnny Gosh kidnapping, then they might not have dispatched somebody right away because they would still often classify these children as runaways. And that has since changed drastically. I can't believe you brought up Johnny Gosh. That like Oh, I'm obsessed with that case. Well, yeah, that thing that thing changed everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Johnny Gosh case literally changed. Well, in in no small part to his mother Noreen literally badgering people into positive change. Yeah, and good for her, man. Yeah, she has some questionable views, but she did enact some really positive change on the front of missing children. And so, yeah. yes. The, the only reason I know about Johnny Gosh is because it plays a part in, like, larger conspiracy theory, think. It's a huge part of the Franklin Credit Union conspiracy, yes. a.k.a. what is now the modern Save the Children movement. Yeah. I did a whole episode on it. I could talk about it a lot if you want, but this is not the episode for it. Plug the episode, though, Paige, because it's worth listening to. And I, it's cult podcast, obviously. It's cult podcast. It's, uh, I believe it's Satanic Panic Five. Yeah. The whole series on Satanic Panic was pretty effing stellar. Everyone should listen to it. Thank you. Because it is very much the Q movement now. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, and that's why we did it. Yeah, no, no, no. I know you guys. Anyway. are not dumb about how you pick stuff. So, uh, we do get an interview with her parents, w- who basically are like, "You never get over it." You don't. And her mom says, "What kind of a sick bastard rapes a little girl? She was barely eight. And I suspect, although the movie never confirms this, that it was post mortem. I assume she died from the hit on the head, which happened immediately. So I assume that as well. Yeah. And we cut back to the FBI profiler who just says, "This is nothing. He doesn't even know what he's doing yet." And then we get to part three, getting better. Yeah. Now this next section is the hitchhiking section, where a couple picks him up. He sets them up to take him to a a gas station, which we will find out later is abandoned. And this is the only place where he introduces himself. He introduces himself as Ed. And we find out as he's riding with them, because he gives them a reason he's got the camera. Yeah, he's just making a video of his trip or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, totally normal. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a hammer. Now, a lot of this is all set up like the Hillside Stranglers, except for the hammer part, because obviously the Hillside Stranglers strangled people. Right. Hence the name. That makes more sense. Yeah. And and typically women, not couples. Now, the fact that he occasionally targets couples is Eron's, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer, East Area Rapist, original Night Stalker, uh, who would target couples. And that's actually going to play into a little bit of what happens to Cheryl later on that we'll go through. So he knocks out the driver with the hammer while the car's in motion, which is like bad call. Yeah, don't do that. Right. I'm like, you could have died in that car accident. The car might not have been drivable after like this is a terrible plan. Yeah, he does use. They don't say what it is. It's implied that it's chloroform or something to knock out the female passenger. And they then say that that couple vanished without a trace. Yeah, until they find the woman's body with the man's head in her stump, where her stomach in, would have been in her abdomen. Yeah, and, and she and she lives through that because, like, we cut to his videos and he wakes her up. Yes, which is real creepy. Where he's like, "Wake up, wake up," which is an East Area rapist, original Night Stalker thing who used to call people who have, who have survived his attacks or people who he killed people close to them. He would call their house and just like whisper yeah. details of the crime. And then hang up. But she wakes up, looks down, and sees that, and we sort of see it. And then when it cuts to the coroner talking about the body they found, that body is also decapitated. So we do know what eventually happened to her. Right. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, man. It's pretty brutal. And where the body parts are kind of strewn across this particular 200-mile area of road. Yeah, it's like New York to Pennsylvania, like, area. Yeah. Yeah. And they pull all the gas station footage along that stretch. Now, that's not super believable for the time frame because, A, if this is late 80s, early 90s, not every gas station had cameras. And if they did, a lot of them couldn't afford it, so they were often fake cameras. So the idea that they were able to get all of those. But now the one thing that makes it kind of believable is that they get the first video image of the killer. His face is still obscured. Yeah. And he signs into the, he uses sign language into the camera to say Red House, which is the location of one of the bodies, which I think for me meant he knew which gas station had a camera. That's why I think he went there. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was weird at first that they found it. And then when you see that he is signaling to the camera, you're like, oh, right. He just wanted to be seen. That makes sense. So we go into how he spread out the body parts to different counties. And we do get some interviews with law enforcement that were like, even if counties did talk to each other, which they didn't and still don't always they're better about that now but they are not good about it yeah it's still not great 
But even if they did talk, you would have to guarantee that people would find the body parts around the same time. Yeah. And you can't guarantee that. Somebody might have never found one of the body parts, which would have never connected it. Yeah. Right. So they say that here's a killer that understands bureaucracy, which at the time is true. That's how Eurons and a bunch of people got away with stuff is just go into another county. You know, like. If you're looking for me in Goleta, you're not going to find me in Sacramento or whatever, you know, right, like that's way down the PCB, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. That's where you fly in. Anyway, <laughs> we get a demonstration from uh, I, I would say a coroner, most likely uh, talking about how when people don't know how to dismember bodies, they screw it up. Well, and if they continue to do it, they use better and better tools. And once they find the yes. right tools. They stay with the right tools. And this Ed, our serial killer, is mm-hmm. changing up. Sometimes he wants to take his time and do it with some shitty saw. And sometimes mm-hmm. he does it like, with like a circular saw and does it real quick. And he thinks that he did it purposefully because then they wouldn't group the murders right. because it's a different M.O. Yeah. But he taped all of them. So then later on, they see that he's switching back and forth. Yeah. Then we get to part four, which is Cheryl... Dempsey. Yeah. We find out that he was like tapping her house, like wiretapping her house. Oh, no. I mean, he just had a handheld frequency grabber and he tuned into the frequency that her cordless phone was on. You could Ah. do that with those back in the day, especially if it wasn't a 2.4 gigahertz phone. If it was like a 900 gigahertz or 900 megahertz phone, you could do that because it essentially works like radio waves. That places this in time. It does. us. Early to mid nineties because you wouldn't have had cordless phones earlier than that. And you, they would have been too advanced later than that. A lot of this happens around 2001. So this all makes sense. Yeah. Well, the end, the, it ends around 2001. Right. So she's been kidnapped for like years by 2001. So early nineties makes sense. He finds out her parents are going to be gone and she's got kind of a bad feeling. Yeah. That's the, that's the conversation we overhear her having with, I think Tim, her boyfriend who, I think it's Tim, her boyfriend who comes over the next night. She's like, do you ever feel like you're being watched? I just feel like someone's watching me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So we cut to the next night and he's in the house, in the kitchen, flipping lights on, flipping lights off, grabbing a knife, walking up the stairs. And at first I was like, why the fuck hasn't she heard this by now? <laughs> like, like yeah. he's all over this damn house. But we do realize that she's in the shower, and then he does make some noise as he goes into her room, and then she's like, and she, Tim? Yeah, she thinks it's Tim, yes. Which I think he knew from the phone call that Tim was going to be there. Yeah, I assume that as well. And then Tim does get there, and he hides in the most obvious parts of the house to find someone. Right. But Tim does not see him at all. Well, because Tim's not looking for him. Yeah. that Like, that's the thing. So he sets up the camera and then hides in the closet. Do you realize how big that camera is? Like, there's yes. no way you it's, wouldn't it's notice that. It's an early that. 90s camcorder. Yeah. It's like the size of a small briefcase. That holds like a whole VHS <laughs> tape. Not like one of those mini DV tapes. Like, a huge... Mm-hmm. Fuck off VHS tape. There's no way you would not notice that. But then Cheryl comes out of the shower. Tim brings her ice cream and a beer. And then they fully have sex. Like, Mm -hmm. we don't see that part because they cut it out of the documentary. But he, like, makes a tape. Yeah. Don't do it this way. If you're making a tape, guys, get consent. Get consent. From all parties involved. I was all the way through it with uh, ice cream and beer. (laughs) You make a beer float. You make basic food groups, Mikey. Oh, God, beer float. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like a root beer float, but it'll make you vomit. So he basically, A, videotapes him having sex, and then waits till they, like, fall asleep on the couch downstairs, and then comes in downstairs and is, like, videotaping them on the couch, hides, 
while they get up to like clean up from, you know, the ice cream and beer and whatever. And as Tim goes into the kitchen, he follows Tim and he knocks Tim out with, I suspect, a hammer. Yeah. Because it's like one blow and it sounds like something crashes. Yeah. It's hammer time. It's hammer time. <laughs> then he turns and sees Cheryl, who has now seen the entire thing, and he chases after her and catches her and literally beats her unconscious. Yeah. Th- then he comes back to the kitchen and stabs Tim with the knife he had and basically finishes Tim off. Although we'll find out later that he did a lot more with Tim's body after the fact. Yeah, we see him, I think, crush Tim's face. Like, we don't see the actual crush. Crush his skull. Yeah, but yeah. we see yeah. him, like, step up and we hear the crush sound. And then they talk about how they found him, like, crushed. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, man. Yep. This scene made me uncomfortable. When he kills or knocks out Tim or whatever he does to Tim right there, mm-hmm. turns around and sees Cheryl, and she, you see, like, the just the terror on her face and her trying to mm-hmm. run. Like, that was creepy, man. That It wasn't, like, just scary. It was creepy. And I feel like oh, there's a lot of bad acting in this movie. It sort of works, though, because it's, like, the bad acting is sort of relegated to the Ed. documentary people and, and the Ed, people yeah. on documentary ed's just not great but cheryl's great i think another person that does really well is the woman he abducts off the side of the road late in the movie where you see her just kind of come to this like very slowly dawning yeah. realization uh, that yeah. she is about to die why'd you think i was a cop yeah, yeah. that yeah. seems very creepy yeah She is great in that. So we cut to basically now everyone is looking for Cheryl. We're seeing some news and seeing, you know, search parties where Tim has been killed in the house. We talk to Cheryl's former friend who's like, she said she thought someone was watching me. I thought she was being paranoid, but hindsight's 2020. And then we cut to Cheryl who wakes up hogtied on her stomach with her arms tied to her ankles. So this is specifically like the Golden State Killer. Yeah. Gotcha. So he would take a woman into the front room, tie the man up Mm -hmm. like this, and put plates on their back. Yep. So that if they got up or tried to struggle or whatever, he would hear the plates crash off their back, and then he'd come in there and kill them. Right. Well, and what he would do is then he would rape usually the wife or woman in the front room while the person who is hogtied with plates can hear and specifically listen. And then often he would then leave them alive. Yeah. Sometimes he would kill them. Sometimes he wouldn't. But sometimes he would leave them alive and he would just walk out of the house and leave them for hours, not knowing if he's there or not, not knowing if they should struggle, not knowing if they break a plate, if they're both going to die. Yeah. And he relished in that idea that they were scared. And those are the people he would then repeatedly call on the phone and threaten them. Basically, like, I know who you are. I know where you are. Yeah. Ugh. It was horrible. It's very great that he has been caught because it was horrible. His reign of terror was so long and also so long ago that you sort of think that no one's ever going to get justice. Sort of like the Zodiac Killer. Like, we're just walking around right now knowing that in the 70s, Ted Cruz killed all these people and we're just going to let him get away with it. And now he's a fucking senator? Like, he's a senator. (laughs) And we're not going to address it at all? Yeah. 
Allegedly, by the way, allegedly. Oh, Don't sue us, Ted Cruz. He's allegedly a senator. It's not like he's taking care of his constituents or anything. <laughs> if his constituents are in Mexico, he's spending a lot of time with them. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, that's why they have Cheryl Hogtide, for sure. Yeah. Um, but this is also the first time that I really started to get uncomfortable with the killer's footage because this is a very sexualized scene. It's a very sexualized position. And the way she's tied. And the way she's tied and the way that he's yeah. interacting with her. Yeah. Which also, from a true crime standpoint, bothered me a little bit because in these situations, it's not necessarily about sex as much as it is about power. Yeah. Even the sexual components are often about power. And so it felt kind of exploitative and I didn't love it. Sure, I could see that for sure. So we cut to an interview with a police officer who's like, because of Tim's body, we didn't think we'd find Cheryl alive. And they do say that his face was caved in and he was cut from anus to nose and his entrails were spread about the house like Christmas lights. And they found his genitals in a sock drawer in the master bedroom. And they think he carefully crafted that murder site to mislead us and make everyone think that Cheryl was dead. Yeah. Then we have the one piece of this documentary that I would have absolutely cut as an editor. Well, you can't cut anything in an 80-minute movie. I know. But <laughs> I feel like we should make an exception for the interview with this fucking actor. <laughs> Which one is this? The Commedia dell'arte, where costumes allow him to draw out the act of killing. And this yeah. character is the plague doctor. Fucker, we all know it's a plague doctor mask. Yeah. Like, knock it off. <laughs> like, we you in your face paint and shit. Stop I want to get on a documentary and just like look at scenes and be like, as you can see, that's a plague doctor mask. Thank you for your. <laughs> as you can see, this is a cheese sandwich in a styrofoam container, and they were promised villas and five star dining. Uh, which is why this is so <laughs> hilarious. And they couldn't even get provolone. I wouldn't even that good. I'd just be like, it is a fact that cheese is a well-liked food stuff throughout the world. <laughs> food stuff. This is, in fact, cheese. And this is, in fact, the actor slash musician Ja Rule. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that we have talked about the Fire Festival documentary on, like, the past few episodes. <laughs> Honestly, it's one of my favorite documentaries of all Me time. Yes. It's so it's fucking funny. <laughs> anyway, back to this not documentary. No one sucks anybody off for Evian water in this, so why do I care? Um, <laughs> That's my litmus test for all documentaries. <laughs> uh, we cut to a scene of him just literally torturing her. Yeah, and making her call him master and that she's a slave. That's her name now. She doesn't yeah. have a name. Her name is only Slave. And so after we hear about the plague mask, we get the scene of him literally telling, making her say to him that she is glad he killed her family. Yeah. And he's like drowning her in the sink. He's like dunking her and making her say it. It is literal, literal torture. This is where it felt really exploitative to me, where I was just like, I feel like... The people who made this just wanted to show a woman getting tortured. Yeah. And then they kind of built everything else around it. And I kind of hate it. Which is why I like the cut that I saw a lot better when she becomes more like there's plot reasons that she like she helps him with his plans and stuff. And like there's a lot more scenes of them torturing people in his house together. But that's even sadder because yeah. it means that he like 
he tortured her so much that she then comes around to being an offender herself. Like, yeah, no, no, no. It's absolutely sad. But in the cut we watch, it's just like he tortures her. She kills herself. And it's it is implied that he has tortured her to the point where he would no longer need to tie her up. Well, yeah, there's a scene where they're like at a diner together watching the news about him murdering people. Yeah, which which is a thing that has happened to women who have been in captivity, that they have been taken in public with their captors because they are too conditioned to run away like they've been tortured that much yeah and that's the kind of stuff where i'm like like that's not scary it's just sad to me anyway we cut back to the news where they've got search teams looking for cheryl and we get video of ed comes to the house and talks to the mom and she realizes it's him for some reason it doesn't tell us why yeah there's no way she would know that Maybe she's got a bad vibe or whatever, but... People do tend to get bad vibes around him, which I think is really interesting because we see it later with the Girl Scouts. Yeah, that that's the creepiest scene to me. But he runs away and she doesn't chase him because she was scared, which... Yeah, I'd be scared too. She has every right to be scared. Yeah. She saw what happened to Tim. Like, she blames herself for it. I'm like, nah, girl, like, be scared. That is, He is a scary, deadly person. Like we talked about in the ritual episode, in those kind of situations, your only job is to stay alive. Yeah. yeah. He, we cut to him torturing her again with a ball gag, and this is where he puts her in like a milkmaid outfit with a weird mask, and she yeah. remains in it for pretty much the duration of the film of what we see of her. It's to get her to a point where she no longer sees herself as a human. Yes. It is a technique people use. It's bad. It's bad. It's been done by a handful of people. Um, At this point, this really, really starts to emulate Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. Yeah. So Leonard Lake and Charles Ng kidnapped, and and they did it to multiple women. They took tapes of it. They wanted to uh, make them into essentially completely subservient women that they titled M Ladies. This was after what they called Operation Miranda, named after a character in the book, The Collector. Ah, uh, ooh, The Collector. Hang on one second. That's a great that's a great little series of movies right there. I don't think it's related to Oh, I'm movies. sure it's not. Yeah, the, the themes are very different. <laughs> this is where we really start to get into that now becomes kind of the model for what's happening because previously this really followed like an Ed Kemper, Ted Bundy-ish, although... We get into Ted Bundy with the necrophilia later, but yeah. this started out as Hillside Strangler, Stranglers, Eron's Ed Kemper is kind of where we're at. Now we're moving into a Leonard Lake and Charles Ng section, but now in part five, as the murder rate skyrockets, part five is titled A New M.O., and we're going to move into a couple different killers, different from the ones that we've seen before because he's changing his M.O., and he's becoming what they're going to call the Water Street Butcher. Yeah. And what we find out in this section is that he begins killing sex workers. And there's a very specific reason for that. The less dead reason? Exactly. Yeah. There is a very unfortunate term in true crime to describe the murder of sex workers. And it is called the less dead. Because sex workers and specifically LGBTQ sex workers are killed at such a higher rate than any other profession. Yeah. And they are investigated at such a lower rate than any other profession. And that is ideally trending towards getting better. But particularly at this time, if you were a sex worker and you were murdered, 
the likelihood of them truly investigating your death and investigating it thoroughly was very, very low. Uh, it gets even lower if you are a sex worker of color yeah. or a trans sex worker or just an LGBTQ sex worker. And they refer to this phenomenon as, quote unquote, the less dead, yeah. meaning you're dead, but it's less important than other people, which is horrifying. Yeah. We should absolutely work to change that. And part of the way that we do that is by getting information out about how this has been bad in the past and in the present and how not fully investigating these crimes leads to things like serial killers and murder right. sprees yeah. that are much, much larger than they needed to be because people didn't consider people people. Which is insane. And that's a problem. Yeah. Yes. And it's not just an American phenomenon either. So, like, we're terrible at it. We're horrific at it. But one of the worst ones I've ever heard of was a Canadian case yeah. where he exclusively killed sex workers and the amount of sex workers he killed before anyone cut on appalling. And I forget that guy's name. I'm just like sitting back this episode like learning. Yeah, there's a movie about a Russian serial killer. It's Robert Pickton. Okay. But also the Russian serial killer that you're thinking of. Citizen yes. X is the movie. Yeah, Citizen X is the movie. It's, and it's, it's a really good movie. It's really sad, though, but it talks a lot about this. Andrei Chikatilo is the one that you're thinking of yes. in Russia. And, and all of those are examples of where law enforcement and society considers people, quote unquote, less dead. Yep. And so many people die yeah. because of it, because they're just not considering people people. It's really messed up. Anyway, sex workers are people. Treat them like people, investigate them like people, and legitimize monitoring that sector of our economy is all I'm going to say. So he now has her chained to the wall, and she's just constantly reciting this phrase that he's given her to refer to him as master, etc. Yeah. And we're getting information from law enforcement in the documentary that sex workers were being arrested, quote unquote, and then never heard from again. But they have no booking information for them. They don't know who's arresting them which means that he's posing as a cop, which is Ed Kemper, Ed Bundy. So many people posed as cops. Eron's actually was a cop yeah. at one point. And so once he was no longer at active duty, he still had a lot of the stuff and was easily able to pose as a cop. So at this point, we're back in the basement and Ed has brought a sex worker back to the basement and she's pleading with Cheryl to help her get out. And Cheryl won't. Yeah, she's like, she, he wouldn't like it is what she says. And because Cheryl has been so tortured and so scared. Right. That like, and, and here's the thing. I don't blame her for not helping in that much. Like, she's tied up too. He's, he'd kill both of them in a second. Absolutely. It's brutal. Uh, and he yells at Cheryl and accuses her of helping this woman try to escape, uh, even though she didn't. And so he makes Cheryl slit her throat. Yeah. We then get a really interesting clip in the documentary where they talk about how he adds like a new signature to the bodies where they're sliced from mouth to ear. Yeah. Which is the Black Dahlia. Yeah, it's very Black Dahlia. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, that's interesting that like he's adding that in and they never really address it again. No, it's really just that one spree and then they never really talk about it. Yeah. Um, they then also revealed that they have DNA in a few different bodies and that they believe he is raping those bodies post-mortem. Yeah. And they have a fake interview with Ted Bundy, who 
is like, I think it's an important distinction whether or not he's raping them before or after because that tells you what kind of person it is. And if you find a fresh kill, you can stake out the body, hang out because he'll come back to it, which is Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer who does come back to his bodies after dumping them in the woods. Yeah. We cut to one of Ed's videos in his house. There's Girl Scouts looking through the mail slot and they're selling cookies. And one of those Girl Scouts is clearly suspicious. Like, yeah, one of them is like, we'll go along with it. And the other one is like, hell no. Yeah. Like she instantly <laughs> knows. I, I thought this was the scariest scene in the movie. I was so scared for these girls, but I also was like, so this, and this is a weird thing to be proud of because it's, it's terrible that we live in a society where a little girl would have to be that skeptical. But the fact that that one little girl is just like, fuck this guy. I don't believe this shit. I was just like, that's right. Little girl. <laughs> Fucking yeah. run! Run away! He invites her down to the basement and says there's a raccoon down there when it's obviously a kidnapped person. <laughs> and she's like, no, we don't we don't get no. raccoons. You doing something bad. I gotta get the fuck out of here. Well, she says, I don't believe you. I want to go. And he's like, fine, let yourselves out. And I fully expected him to chase them down Me too. and hurt them. I was so glad that, that, that we didn't have to see that. But man, I mean, I want her to be like, fuck you, get Thin Mint somewhere else. I'm out of here. Yeah, but also, <laughs> this is so... Gacy was known to occasionally let people go. Yeah. So like that, that's a serial killer thing too, where sometimes they let people go because then if the police talk to them, they're like, I don't know. They let me go. Why wouldn't they just kill me? Yeah. They call it reasonable doubt. Yeah. Or it's a power thing. Oh, I'm sure it's a power thing. There's no way he wasn't getting off on the fact that he could kill them. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and it may not have been as much of a high as actually killing them, but it serves a dual purpose. Right. So it's right. It's horrible. It's all horrible. It's horrible. They leave. He pulls the tablecloth off the coffee table in front of him that they were just sitting feet away from. Yeah. And Cheryl was the coffee table the whole time. When you're watching the scene, you sort of assume it's Cheryl in the basement. It's not. Yeah. Another woman in the basement. Cheryl is now Mm -hmm. to the point where she is furniture to him. Yeah. And he accuses her of trying to help the girl in the basement escape. And she's like, I would never betray you. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Right. And he basically says, this is your fault. And then goes and brutally murders whoever is in the basement. Yeah. At this point, law enforcement says that they have 10 bodies with matching DNA and they find an unwashed glass of the fingerprint and they match it to a police officer who had been in town for all the killings and had been in all of the places where the killings occurred for family vacations. Yeah. They found trophies and bloodstains in his car. Yeah. Allegedly, all of this is set up by the killer. Right. Which is a stretch, but fine. It would have meant that he was stalking this police officer for years years and then planting the trophies and everything yeah we get an interview with his son who's like they arrested my dad i dropped out of school and i mean it destroyed his life it destroys his life there's a new documentary on hulu about the daughter of the btk killer oh shit i'd watch the shit out of that dennis raider and he was also like a cub scout master like he was a family man he would like leave kill somebody and then come back to her birthday party and yeah. shit like so messed up but he's also a guy who did it for for lack of a better phrase the clout yeah where he's obsessed with people like knowing about his killings knowing him as a serial killer and that's why some true crime shows refuse to cover him because they're like i'm not gonna give you what you want basically good is interesting Just fuck that guy yeah so the reason that they kind of center in on this police officer is that he used to travel in an unmarked cruiser, which is the case for Ed. Yeah. He had a history of hiring sex workers. He's identified by a sex worker. 
And then he refuses to plead out. And so they eventually charge him with these murders and they do a stay of execution for a while. But eventually he is murdered or not murdered. He is executed I mean, for these crimes. You could say murdered. Both. I mean, he didn't yeah. do anything wrong and he gets killed by the state. I mean, I realize it's state-sanctioned yeah. murder, but it's still murder. If you want to do some real interesting research into the death penalty and the actual effectiveness, cost, and reality of how the death penalty works, do it. Like, if you don't feel like you know enough about the death penalty to have a full opinion on it, do that research because... It is wild. Yeah. I like I, I was a person that did not have as much of a problem with the death penalty because some people kill people and do horrible things. Yep. And I feel like I don't want them in our society if that's going to be the thing. And then doing the research on the death penalty fully changed my mind. Yeah. So that's why I'm against it. Like you can solely be against the death penalty because you are against it for fiscal reasons. Yes. It, it costs more to kill people than it does to just keep them alive in Gen Pop. It's so wild. Exactly. It is yeah. so wild i mean if you could guarantee me that we couldn't we would never kill an innocent person i'd still be against it because it's such a waste of like monetary resources we can't get into all the death penalty stuff right now but there's something really interesting that we hear in the next scene because we hear like a reenactment of the execution and they go through the three phases yeah. of injection. lethal injection yep. and then they have the physicians come in for the exam because i don't know if you know this but physicians are not allowed to participate in the actual no. execution itself because it violates their Hippocratic oath. Yeah, the do no harm. Do no harm. But that means that there is a very high possibility for mistakes during the execution process itself. A lot of people have been essentially permanently catatonic because of that process. It's a it's not foolproof and it's not painless and it's not simple and doctors can't participate to make sure that it is effective. Yeah. And so it is a very complicated system and they do cover that a little bit here, which I thought was responsible and interesting. Yeah. But we then get to part six, because at this point, the police have found a ton of bodies, but they haven't found Ed and they haven't found Cheryl that we know of. Well, they think the cop did it. They think the cop did it. But where is Cheryl? So part six is called the missed one where the head investigator gets a map in his mailbox, basically directing them to another body with a DNA sample. And there's a video of them watching the execution on TV with Cheryl sitting across a diner booth from him. Yeah. They think that he somehow obtained that police officer's DNA from a fertility clinic years before. And they find out that potentially or most likely, I would say, in this version of the movie, not our better written version where Cheryl continues on as the killer. Um, <laughs> but in this version of the movie, they find out three days after they execute that police officer, September 9th, 2001, they find out that he is innocent. But by then, 9-11 had happened and the story gets buried. And so his son essentially has to live the rest of his life with everyone thinking that his dad is a serial killer because everyone missed the story where he was proven innocent. Yeah, it's sort of heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's so sad for that kid who lost his dad. Now, what's really interesting is in the very next scene, we get one of the profilers talking about how the changing of M.O. really helped cloud how many murders there were and how they could or could not find him. And he also, in 
less compassionate terms, I would say, explains the less dead. Yeah. So then we cut to him picking up the English motorist on the side of the road. And this is the extra body that that map leads to. Yeah. But essentially, she gets in the back of the car and he drives for a while and then tells her that he is the butcher. And we basically get to see her realize the mistake she has made and understand that she is going to die yeah. and not going to escape. And it is heartbreaking. It is. It's pretty brutal. But this is some of the some of the best acting in this movie, yeah. I would say. Yeah, she's only had she only has one scene, but she crushes it. She crushes it. We cut to she's in the basement. She's got tape across her mouth. This is the one place where we get the backwards mask crawl into the room. Which at a certain pl- point, I'm like, who is this for? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> like, this didn't scare me at all because it felt super performative because she yeah. can't even see him. And he's not walking backwards. He's like, yeah, he's, he's just got a mask on his on the back of his head and on the front of his it's head. It's sort of on the top of his head. He's got the plague doctor mask on still. And then the, the mask is on top of his head. The face mask, I guess you'd say. And he's just walking in on his hands and feet. It's something he does a lot in the other edit that I saw. Oh, yeah? Okay. Even if he was doing it all the time, I still don't know why he does it. I'm like, who is this for? Just the police? It was a a power thing. I remember one scene, like, there's someone tied up watching him come across the room at them like that and didn't know he had two masks. That'd be fucking scary. Yeah, Yeah. if, if she could have seen him do it, I would have understood why he was doing it. But she couldn't right. see him doing it. She was facing away from him. Yeah. So he kind of orbs up behind her and he's got needle fingers. Yeah. And he punctures her neck, her jugular, and she chokes on blood through the tape across her mouth. We cut back to the FBI profilers where they're like, yeah, uh, we couldn't actually figure this dude out. He's a sadist. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's functional. Maybe he's non-functional. Was he law enforcement? Was he on disability? And they basically couldn't create a consistent profile. Now, depending on how accurate you think serial killer profiling is and can be, there are cases where they've done it an amazing job doing it and cases where they're so off base, it seems like junk science. So it's really up in the air as to whether or not a profile is going to be accurate. Like one of the best ones is Richard Chase, where they had him like down to a science. Yeah. But there are others that are just like, wildly off base and it's not precise at all so that's why they combine it with a bunch of other things as they're solving a case yeah um but that's why mind hunter although a pretty good show it's a great show is based on a book by a guy who took credit for a lot of other people's work and basically promoted junk science for the whole of his career so you know uh. rain of salt great show based on false things which honestly most tv is based on untrue things that's true. The difference is they pass it off like it actually happened when it doesn't. Yeah. So we get to part seven, uh, which is called Found, and they find out that the map was printed off MapQuest. Isn't that an old sentence? Yeah. <laughs> and there was only one person who downloaded a map of that area in the time frame which leads them to his house based on, I would assume, his IP address. Yeah. He's gone. The house is wiped of fingerprints. There's just the boxes of sequential videotapes and a little bit of blood on the wall and a wood coffin containing Cheryl, but she is alive. Yes. So they return her to her parents, although she spent some time in the hospital first because she was 
malnourished and had been very badly injured. And they do say that uh, she had severe sexual torture, things that they won't even say out loud. But also they say that in the hospital, she wasn't feeling and they think it's because she was re-injuring herself when no one was looking. Yeah. She had been so traumatized, she didn't feel normal unless she was in a traumatized state. It was really right. sad. Yeah. It's extremely sad. Also, the interview with her in the next scene is extremely sad. Oh, yeah. Where they're trying to interview her, and she just says, I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah. And she just keeps saying, I don't know what you want me to say, until she gets to the point where she's missing limbs. Yeah, she's missing her uh, left hand at least. Yes, and her her torso seems a little out of... It does seem disjointed on some level, yeah. Disjointed. So we're not fully sure the extent of her injuries, but she is in bad shape. Yeah. She says, he loved me, and no one ever lets me say it, but he loved me, and he's going to come back and take me away. Yeah. Which fits in more with, Mikey, what you've described as you saw a version of this earlier on. And then we get a title card that says two weeks after this interview, she died by suicide. And then the note that she left, she declared her undying love for her master. And then we get a news report that kind of explains the very first shot of the movie that we saw, which is her body is stolen from her grave and they leave a tape behind of him stealing the body. Um, But this is where we get the interviews from law enforcement that are like, we think he just moved somewhere else. We don't think he stopped killing. He's in some town out there where the murder rates are rising. And we also find out that the tapes are sequential, but 27 tapes are missing. Yeah. And we don't know what was on them. And they do say that if the documentary ever gets to the theater, they'll stake the theaters out because he'll see it as many times as he can. This is a reference to Eron's, AKA the golden state killer who attended a local like town hall meeting about his own murders and posed in a photo for the task force to find him. Yeah. Like he was, (laughs) yes. Yeah. So obsessed with his own crimes that he attended that town hall and then targeted people from that town hall meeting as his next murders. So like he, he was like, not only am I here in your midst, I'm in this group photo with you, and then I'm going to kill some of you. Yeah. The film concludes with credits that say for Cheryl and all those who passed, and then there is a post-credit scene. Yeah. Did you wait for the post-credit scene, Mikey? Yeah. Where he says, I'll make you a deal. You can live as long as you don't blink. And she literally tries not to blink, but she's human, and the film cuts off before she blinks. Yeah. And And that's that's the movie. movie. Roll credit. So having seen the movie, having talked about it now at this point, what do you guys think about Poughkeepsie tapes? There there are so many things about this that I want to like, but the the exploitative footage from the killer I really, really don't like. Yeah. You know, I, I admire the amount of research that clearly went into this on serial killers at a time when it was not as popular to know and do all that research. Right. This could have been a silence of the lambs. It could have been a seven. It could have been great with the same premise and even at a low budget, but it focuses so much on that exploitative footage and the weird sexually charged nature of those crimes that just makes it sad. And upsetting. It's not scary. You know, it's interesting, 
But I feel like if you're super into serial killers, watch a real documentary instead of this. Right. You know, like that sounds messed up, but like do, you know, it's more interesting, I would say. I agree completely. And I think one of the reasons I did not find this movie super scary was because I already watch a lot of those things. And you're right, Paige, it wasn't super popular around this time to see a lot of that stuff. Like ID Discovery was doing it around this time, but no one else really was. I know so much about serial killers now because literally almost every big name serial killer has their own few documentaries you can watch like it's yeah, not just one multiple so like i watch a lot of them because it's an interesting topic and i like it just like so many other people do and i just it's sort of like doing passive research like i was flipping through and saw something on ed kemper so i watched it now i know about ed kemper like you didn't right. know it back then i am impressed by his ability to throw all of those stories in way before it was like common knowledge yeah i just think the execution is not awesome for me the tor the torture scenes were un, un not so much unsettling as much as sad and frustrating so also in regular like true crime documentaries even if they have footage like this they won't show the actual like murder of it yeah unless it's don't fuck with cats then that I... fully shows this guy murdering cats which is fucking obscene and they should not have shown that that's a haunting case for me yeah. and i have not watched that documentary and for that exact reason yeah and won't i mean i know the case so like i'm like i know what happened i don't need to see it yeah it's honestly other than that great that ruined it for me anyway and i realize a cat is not a person but like there's no I reason care, to though. me either there's no reason to have shown that at all yeah but whatever like um the whole documentary is great though like if you can stomach that one scene or no, fast thanks. forward it yeah it is a good enough reason not to watch it though a anyway none of that matters like it just doesn't need that for me and it's much scarier yeah. if we don't know i think yeah but yeah no i agree i to be honest the idea of people describing without actually saying what's on the tapes is scarier than the tapes themselves because once yeah. we get to the tapes themselves i'm like what is this? Just like the background of a music video that's from an upsetting <laughs> garage heavy metal band? Yeah. Like what's happening? From like a Nordic black metal band? Yeah. Yeah. So Mikey, what did you think about it? I didn't like this cut. Mm -hmm. This film is really interesting that I saw a movie that is very different that's the same movie and it was shells for 10 years. No joke. I'd watch that movie with you. Like if we could find the other cut of it that you watched in around 2008, I'd watch that just to see the differences, right? I think this movie... It has a creepy vibe, like, but like not creepier than like, you know, Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, I would say that there are actual documentaries that are more upsetting and creepier yeah, yeah. Than, than this. And I feel like the cut I did did this whole twist thing at the end that made it like, ooh. And yeah. like had like a whole, like there was like a whole arc to it. But I failed, I failed my own month. So I feel, I'm feeling a little. Yeah. Well, you have two more movies to make up for it before the listener request comes in and usurps you. But, but now I do feel like part of horror history of like bootlegging a copy of this film that doesn't exist anymore. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to hear what everyone talked like in the Facebook group and stuff like that. Like what everybody. I agree. Has people seen the other version and things like that. Yeah. And that is really the only way I'd watch this movie again is if we could find the other version because I am interested to see the differences between this one and that one. I'm interested to get the fun. Fa I, I want to know why they shelved it for 10 years. Yeah, so Paige, let's just jump into fun facts and talk about the actual fun facts we have because, I mean, Mikey, to answer your question, the reason it got shelved for 10 years is because it was this movie and it's just not that great. 
Uh, no, that can't be the reason because <laughs> we have seen way worse movies. Way worse movies. Yeah, no, no. I know. Well, uh, I'll explain because Todd is correct in a way, and I'll explain. I don't like those words. <laughs> the... I love them. I don't hear them enough, honestly. Fun facts. Hit us with your fun facts. Dun, 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 dun. So <laughs> the only real life murders that they've actually cited as being inspiration for this movie, although that's clearly not the case because there are obvious ties to other ones yeah. uh, are the Kendall Francois murders from 1996 to 1998. Ten murders, uh, all sex workers. Mm, none okay. of them were videotaped. None of them were children, families, couples, etc. So clearly they pull from others. Yeah. And just kind of have not acknowledged it. As we talked about, there are two cuts of the film. The first cut is the submission to Tribeca. And that's the one that leaks online illegally. The one that Mikey saw originally. That's the one Mikey saw originally. Yeah. The second cut is the one that screens at Tribeca in 2007. And that's the one that goes on to be the Blu-ray. And the version that Todd and I watched on, I would assume, Amazon because that's where I watched it that's where I watched it too yeah so that's why there's a little bit of a difference now as far as shelving Todd is a little bit correct as I always am I'm never fully correct I'm always a little bit correct <laughs> so there's no official reason given for why it was shelved however it is suspected that it screened at Tribeca and had a pretty good reception at Tribeca because there was nothing else like this at the time, really. Yeah. And they bought it and then weren't sure how to market it because there's very few names in it. It's pretty much all lesser-known actors. It's not executed well. And I think if it had been executed a little tiny bit better, this would have had a story like Paranormal Activity instead of like this. Yes. Because Paranormal Activity has a very similar backstory where it screened at festivals, people liked it, and then they gave them some extra funding to kind of flesh the movie out so that they could then release it. But there's like three different versions of Paranormal Activity for that reason. And I think this movie was probably bought with a similar intent, but then either they didn't know how they would flesh it out or they chose not to, or they didn't want to put more budget into it. But regardless, they did not think that it would sell. So there is that bootleg copy that makes the rounds, which is not the version that screened at Tribeca. It's that, that submission one that the director doesn't like. He says that that's not his vision for the film, and the one that screened is his vision. Huh. Interestingly enough. Yeah, so the one that we watched is the filmmaker's vision of the film. Is the filmmaker's vision of the film. okay. But what happens is that one, that other version leaks and it does have some groundswell in the horror community over time. So in 2014, DirecTV plans to release the film. Yeah. But it doesn't. It does temporarily put it on video on demand. So some people saw it that way. And that was its only true release, like official release at that time. Then it was supposed to get a wide release in 2017. And that was pulled shortly before the release. And it went straight to DVD. And there's never been an official reason. Right. Uh, this entire film was shot in 15 days. That does not surprise me at all. Because yep. <laughs> a lot of the takes feel like, all right, they said the lines they were supposed to say. That's all we have time for today. Let's hit the head. Mm -hmm. Like they just didn't have time to actually get good takes on everybody. Yeah, it's also been listed on, on multiple lists as the most gruesome film in history or 
or one of the most gruesome films in history. I disagree. I feel like there are way more gruesome films, but that's just me. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I feel like we've watched way more gruesome films for this I movie. I agree, yeah. But like Hostel is way more graphic than this. It typically has somewhere in the neighborhood of a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. That seems high. It does seem high to me, but I feel like because it has that groundswell, yeah. that kind of keeps it a, a little bit higher. It does have a modest budget. We don't know an official amount. I did look for that, but no, it doesn't. Yeah. They do also say that there are over 800 tapes used by the killer, allegedly. Yeah. The news anchors and reporters in the documentary are real news anchors and reporters from Minneapolis and St. Paul. That makes sense because they're actually some of the best actors in it. You're like, oh, this guy's crushing this role as a news anchor. And it's because he was. (laughs) Yeah. Cyril's amputated hand was made using a green screen. It's one of the only special effects in the film. You can see the green screen, actually, uh, because it was early days of green screen, and you can see the haze around the green green part of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And those are our fun facts. I mean, there's not a ton of fun facts about the movie, but you got a lot of serial killer fun facts today, so I'll call it a wash. We peppered (laughs) in a lot of serial killer fun facts for sure. Yep. Uh, And I would do box office now, but it didn't get a theatrical release. I do know, though, that when it did get its release in 2007, it made $144,000 in that release. Which, honestly, may have been more than the budget for this movie. I feel like it's absolutely more than the budget of the movie. I don't think this movie cost all that much. If you told me this movie cost $50,000, I'd be like, yeah, I'd buy that. That makes sense. I think so. Because really, when you think about it, you've got the basement as as a location. Everyone else is shot in, like, classrooms, nondescript windows. Like, if you rented one classroom for the day, you could have shot all your talking heads. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then you've got the houses, which could be the inside of any house, and then the car, and then the front lawn. Those are your only locations. Yeah. But, Mikey, do you want to hit him with that scary scale? Yeah, let's do the scary scale. Scary scale listeners, how scary we found the film when we watched it this time. Our one example is Ghostbusters, our two ten. Ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I wasn't gonna go through one to ten. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Uh, <laughs> it's not a rating of quality, just how scary we were. Uh, Paige. This is a solid one for me. Uh huh. Todd. I'm gonna give it a two, but mainly just because the imagery is a little scary, but it's not that bad. Like this movie is very, very watchable if you so choose to sit through it. The trailer was scarier. Yes, I watched it last night on stream uh, with the viewers, and man, I I was very nervous to go downstairs and watch this movie, but no, it was not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. I'm going to go ahead and give it a one. Yeah, I would give the trailer a four. (laughs) (laughs) That's a scary scale. Awesome. All right, so this week, Mikey, in your quest to insanely scare us with Mikey movies, I think you failed. What are you going to make us watch next week? So I've intentionally not told you guys what movies. Yeah, you didn't tell me anything. And normally he'll drop hints or you guys will talk about it beforehand. Yeah, we'll yeah, talk yeah, yeah, separate. Because yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to just like surprise y'all. Okay, so I know Paige is scared with exorcism movies. Oh, God. Oh, fuck oh you. God. And fuck I know Todd you. is scared in general. So we're going to do a movie called The Last Exorcism. No! Which I, I think the one where she broke her back. Oh, God. I'm not sure which one it is, but uh, it's got an interesting premise for an exorcism film. Let me make sure it's the right one. Let me not screw this up again. Hold on one second. (laughs) It is the one I'm thinking of. I have not seen it, but I do know the premise, and it is very, very interesting because it's the guy who basically disproves exorcisms and then is confronted with a real one. Yes, 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 that's it. Okay. 
Um, the cover of the film has her doing like a back bend and she permanently injured her back shooting that from what I understand. Wow. Well, okay. Spoilers. Here, here's the one thing that's going to save it for me. I am super interested in that premise. I do think that's a really interesting way to approach an exorcism movie, even though I don't like exorcism movies. Um, <laughs> so I will, you know, keep the lights on and watch it during the day or something. And it'll be fine. I'm excited yeah. about that. I hope this is your arachnophobia. Uh, well, arachnophobia is my arachnophobia. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like spiders. All right. So your homework this week is to deny exorcisms are real, but then watch the last exorcism. Exorcisms are real. They just might not be effective. Right. Yeah. That that was where I was going to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? I'm looking one up currently. Well, awesome. While you look it up, let me tell them how they can have their review run on the podcast. And that is simple. It'll leave us a five-star text review, and then we'll have Mikey read it. Mikey, who's you going to read this week? I'm going to read. Oh, man. Of course, they have, like, a really long name. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is the person's username, which is funny. I hate this so much, LOL, 1937-3. What did they say, Mikey? <laughs> they said, I'm obsessed with this podcast. Oh, why, well, thank you. Todd, Mikey, and Paige have such great conversations and really know how to work together. Yeah, we do. I listen to them at work, and I will probably look crazy since I have my AirPods in, and I'm just smiling and laughing. I recommend this podcast <laughs> to everyone. Five stars. Well, thank you so much. I hate this so much. LOL 19753 or whatever the numbers were on the end. We appreciate it. <laughs> How dare you bring Tommy Two Tone into this? Thank you so much for that awesome review. I got it. I got a review for the pod. <laughs> I wish I could do music, Joe. Yeah, we do too, Mikey. And if you guys want Mikey to read your review on the podcast, leave us a five-star review. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige West. Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J Awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm. than the mm-hmm. regular feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys, check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash horror virgin. We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. And literally we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd awesome. Well, we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's Twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, guys. Check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by... 
Nick, Nick B. B. All right, Nick B. Fun fact. Oh yeah, his favorite Muppet is Cookie Monster. Really? Honestly, I'm a huge fan of that. That sounds awesome. Who doesn't like a cookie? I love cookies. They're the best. I think I'm gonna make cookies after this. Page <laughs> picture. It didn't happen. This episode also brought to you by. Ori. And Ori's amazing. So, like, I have a collection of tapes. Let's just say that. They're not murder tapes, though, but, you know, someone made a tape. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if <laughs> I ever die mysteriously or whatever reason, Ori is sworn to go in there and remove the tapes before my mom has a chance to find that collection. Yeah, they're just tapes of him filming himself in a mirror, putting clothes on and on and on. <laughs> just and more on. and more and more clothes. <laughs> and then just doing lunges into Rachel and Monica's apartment. You guys make it sound like layer porn isn't a thing. By the way, if you want to sign up for my OnlyFans account and watch me do layer <laughs> porn, I will be starting one shortly. This episode also brought to you by Awesome Possum Blossom. And Awesome Possum Blossom wants me to give you some awesome possum facts. So here's one for you. Possums are the only species to have made it to the moon. What? Uh, what about humans? I'm just going to make them up at this point. I don't, oh, okay. So many. <laughs> <laughs> We've done so many. I honestly can't find one we haven't done. <laughs> no, All I'm right. sorry. I, I was just like... What the fuck? How did a possum get to the moon? Did it stow away? <laughs> That's really interesting, Todd. Why did we do that to a possum? No, it <laughs> asked to go. Oh, okay, great. It said one small scratch for <laughs> possum, oh, one giant scratch for possum kind. It was like, comrade, please take me with you. <laughs> Houston, we have a possum. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. make Paige laugh is to just make dumber and dumber jokes. I know. She has a type, Mikey. <laughs> of jokes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Well, you also have a type of man, too, but it's a wide-shouldered magician, and we don't have time to get into all of that. This episode's also brought to you by Brandon's Bug Business, and Brandon's Bug Business is actually called Bug Cage Company on Facebook, and if you have any need to buy a scorpion, centipede, millipede, any other pede that you might need for pranking or practical purposes, reach out to Bug Cage Company on Facebook and have Brandon ship you some. This episode's also brought to you by Jeff, and Jeff wants you to check out his podcast, Kissing Jessica Jones, where each week they break down an episode of Marvel's and Netflix's Jessica Jones show, so check it out. This week also brought to you by Taco Cat, and Taco Cat has a podcast that is not called What's Your Bartender Shaking At You, or whatever we called it last week. <laughs> Mikey, what's new barkeep? Yeah, it's called What's New Barkeep? Whoa! And guys, you should check it out. Each week, they try a new drink and break down the drink, I guess, Mikey? You know more about it than I do. They, they try a new drink and they talk about society. Nice. Bartender, bartender, I love, love you. <laughs> yes, I do. If you guys want to check out my new podcast, it's called Keeping Up With Todd's Credit Card Info. <laughs> <laughs> Where we bring you Todd's new credit card info <laughs> every, every week. week. <laughs> <laughs> and we tell you what we bought with it. This week, we got off-brand Uggs from Amazon and a laptop cradle. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's actually what she bought this week. 
I did buy a laptop cradle this week. You're welcome. I have two different laptop cradles. Ooh. We now return you to, yet again, another crowdsourced episode of uh, The, the Patrioticals. I forgot to crowdsource this week, so but I, I'm doing better. I'm not. But we'll go into it. Okay, so <laughs> we are back on the moon. Uh, oh, the Moonderdome. Mon- yeah. Whoa. So uh, Amy's flying Tristam. Right. She's just all up in Tristam flying him around. And they're orbiting the moon. The yeah. the moon, Mikey. You <laughs> just moon. said the moo like you were a cow the going moon. to the moon, and you cannot pronounce n sounds. It is made of cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, as Amy's inside Tristram. Wow. Okay, this is getting way more sexual than I expected it to at the very beginning. <laughs> they see a flying saucer. Oh yeah. But as you guys know, it's our other team. But we're gonna right. do this team first. Yeah. Right. So Amy's like, oh my gosh. That's aliens, and they're probably bad. Let's let's blow them up. And he's like, "Can we do this another time? I'm literally inside you right now." <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness, Karun is in that saucer, so there is at least one alien there. We know that for a fact. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Domosaurus. That's right. Domosaurus is he's also an alien, right? And something that my brain can only comprehend as a bookie. Yeah, space bookie. Is it Domosaurus like Domo? It's Domosaurus like a dom. Or is it Domosaurus like a dinosaur that is into alternative kink styles? I feel like I'm going to go with Domo. (laughs) Domo Dinosaurus, mister. Yes, exactly. He's also in the shape of a dinosaur. It's a dinosaur alien bookie, space alien. Could it also have a whip? It could, but it's got tiny arms. (laughs) That's fair. That's (laughs) that's fair. I I think a T-Rex, it would be difficult to be a Dom as a T-Rex because of those tiny arms. You'd have to find alternative ways of play. I mean, biting would probably be the predominant form of play. (laughs) Or foot play. They got those big feet. They do got the big ass feet, yeah. I just feel like it's really tough to be a T-Rex Dom because like, once you tie somebody up, if they're not moving, you can't see them. <laughs> also, it's very difficult to tie someone up when you have such tiny arms. <laughs> I should know. I have tiny arms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, so they have a meeting and Kate's like, "Well, we should we should go try to destroy them. They're probably part of the Illuminati." Right. Whatever. We'll give them some motivation. So, <laughs> Eddie's like, "Look, I'll tie some of these pythons to uh Scott, who's the thing basically. Right. We'll shoot them at the thing." We'll shoot him at the, not the thing, but we'll shoot him who is like the thing at a UFO. And they're like, yeah. So they shoot Scott with a bunch of now dead pythons on his, uh, like, uh, as appendages. He only has a few on him and they have space helmets on. (laughs) I just need someone to quickly draw me uh, a bunch of pythons with space helmets. Like, I need to see this. So any of you artists out there, I need it. I'm going to draw one so we can make it into a sticker or something. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. Because I was picturing if all the pythons died, that we would get like an in memoriam for the pythons at the end of the Patreonicals. <laughs> in, like, the in the arms of a python, <laughs> fly away from here <laughs> with your snaky space helmets. And the <laughs> yes, I'm glad that we both thought of the same song. Yeah, we both watched the same commercials. Come on. And then Sasha was like, look, I haven't really done much lately, so I want to go on this mission. And so she ties herself. (laughs) She hangs onto the back of Scott, and they shoot out into space. They hit the UFO. 
They knock a hole in it. Damn. They're like a boarding party at this point. And they're inside. So cue the other side of the, the team. Domasaurus is kicking Karun because he owes him money. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> I like that all- I wouldn't understand what Domasaurus is or does, but he pretty much is just Jabba the Hutt. More like Pizza the Hutt, but a dinosaur. <laughs> that is the space IP I prefer. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Scott crashes in. Sasha's on his back. There's pythons. Eddie, Eddie had given a talk to the pythons before they went over there because Scott and Sasha can't talk to them because they don't speak animal. And so... Uh, <laughs> The, the snakes attack. One attacks Isaac. Oh, and a shield covered the hole, so they're not sucked out of space. Right. So, but they're they're crashing onto the onto the moon, and um, Isaac uh, eats one of the snakes. Unfortunately, we lost one. <laughs> he fights one of the snakes. Evil Matthew uh, starts fighting Sasha, but it's like, but Scott grabs him and like holds him up, and also right. punches Domasaurus, and because he's beating up Karun, and Domasaurus is knocked out. So, um, but also while they're not looking. The remaining pythons all entangle Dave and crush him to death. Wait, the pythons crush him to death? Yeah, they killed. They killed. Oh, Dave. they like squeeze him to death. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, they like cover his face. And they he can't constrict he, him to death. Yeah, yeah. He, he got constricted. Yeah, yeah. So he he dies, and they're like, oh, and then they have like one of those like moments, like, oh, oh my gosh, I recognize y'all. But then they're like, we're crashing, and then they crash into the moon, and that's the end of the episode. Oh wow. Okay. Oh, shit, I should have been coming up with questions. I wasn't thinking about it. I've been too busy picturing stickers made of pythons with space helmets, but then also possums with space helmets. Let's <laughs> just say, Houston, we have a possum. <laughs> and then and then I was like, we definitely need like an athletic gear style one that just says like Moonder Dome Athletic Department. <laughs> <laughs> so artists, if you're out there, feel free to send us some uh, designs on a snake with a helmet, a possum with a helmet, and then a shirt with a possum with a helmet that says... Houston, we have a possum. Houston, we have a possum. (laughs) Uh, I am absolutely going to try and take a crack at that. I want to see it. Will we make it into a shirt? Find out next week on another episode of uh, The Possum Onicles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish you guys could see Paige playing possum right now. (laughs) It's amazing. Oh, that's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Yeah. And have an amazing week. Bye. Space snake nerds. <laughs> <laughs>